This is WCNY's The Capitol Press Room, and we're joined in the studio by the State Budget Director, Blake Washington, who is making the first of hopefully many appearances on the show to discuss the state's mid-year financial plan update, a big document for budget nerds that indicates the state's current financial situation halfway through the fiscal year and gives indicators of what the state budget officials are predicting for the future. Thanks for visiting us, Blake, and congrats on the new job. Thank you for having me, and thank you for the congratulations. So let's start with the current fiscal year. Are we going to finish on budget, or does the state need to take actions between now and March 31st of 2024 to ensure we're not running a deficit by the end of the fiscal year? We'll close out the fiscal year on budget and on target. We do have some challenges ahead in 2025, and those will all be addressed in the governor's uh, executive budget come January. Tax collections this year have been higher than what was projected earlier in the year, according to the Comptroller's Office, but it doesn't appear to have impacted your revenue projections for this year compared to, say, what we saw earlier in the year from the financial plan. How come no major deviations, or would you disagree with that assessment? The revenues as we have them now are pretty much on target as to what we projected in the enacted budget report. We have some headwinds that we, I think, correctly projected and have manifest themselves in our our most recent mid-year update. The governor's executive budget proposal last year took about $5 billion out of the revenue plan. And then upon the enacted budget, took another $5 billion or so out of it. Coming to the mid-year report, we're plus or minus right around that. You know, it's about $9 billion lighter than we were in the previous fiscal year. Many states, the federal government, saw record revenues post-pandemic. And now we're all starting to return to trend. And that's where we are today. We did see some strength in the most recent mid-year update. We saw that corporate taxes were doing okay, mm-hmm. plugging along. We saw that withholdings are up. Those are for our, our everyday employees. Jobs have returned. Wages have returned to ordinary New Yorkers. We do see weakness, however, in our estimated payments, which are for high-income New Yorkers. So it's a balance between all of those things. And we're right on where we projected, essentially, at the enacted budget report. So an analysis of state Medicaid spending over the first half of the year by the Empire Center, which looked at the monthly cash reports that we get from the Comptroller's Office, suggests that state spending on the program is on pace to go billions of dollars over budget this year. What does the trajectory of Medicaid spending look like for this fiscal year based on the mid-year update? Is there a prospect of going over budget on Medicaid? As of right now, we don't share that analysis. We have front-loaded payments to Medicaid providers as we await for federal approval of a variety of different programs. And what does that mean, front-loading payments? As we await uh, for uh, the federal government to approve waiver services or different changes to the Medicaid benefit, Mm -hmm. it doesn't come overnight. So the state instead puts in the federal share as we wait for the federal government to reimburse. And then it works out the, the financial plan works out accordingly. So to the extent that we front-loaded payments in the first half of the year, we expect that those all become smoothed out in the second half of the year. We recoup them or the payments have been made in advance, so it's no longer necessary in the second half of the year. We look at this as an arc over 12 months, and there may be plus or minuses uh, in in certain review periods, Mm -hmm. but at the end, we, we expect to get to the targeted amount, which is generally governed by a global cap in Medicaid. So traditionally, our friends in D.C. are good for it, so to speak? They they come through when we need them to? In most instances, yes. And does 
the potential, though, for uh, government shutdowns in D.C. jeopardize any of this uh, spending plan when it comes to, to Medicaid reimbursements? Not specific to Medicaid. Okay. Um, a, a prolonged government shutdown would impact a lot of the things that New Yorkers care about over time. So we're, we're hoping that the federal government continues to do its work and we don't get to that point. But that's a problem that's not necessarily specific to the Medicaid program. I don't necessarily imagine that that would be some broader problem coming into the next six months. And finally, sticking with the scheduling question of Medicaid, some of your predecessors would make Medicaid payments uh, for one fiscal year, basically a day after the fiscal year ended, so accounted toward the next fiscal year's calendar, so to speak. Is there any expectation that you'll need to do something like that again for fiscal year 2024 into 2025? No, that's not the expectation at all. So the update notes that in the current fiscal year, there's been a quote-unquote lower spending across most local aid programs. That caught my attention. Is that just referring to, say, a slowdown or decreased plans for investments in localized aid programs? What does that mean? It's more a reflection of the reality on the ground, not necessarily a a policy choice. The Division of Budget hasn't slowed down contracts that were otherwise due, nor have the state agency commissioners. I think it's just more of a reflection of the realities on the ground, not an actual choice in that regard. We do spend about $91 billion in local aid. This budget is about 10% greater than, than the prior year on local aid, largely in the areas of school aid and Medicaid. The number you see in our mid-year report is reflected of just actual trends as opposed to any specific action. Does the local aid umbrella include money to, say, nonprofits that are out in the community? Because they have, for years, had concerns about the slow process of getting money out the door to, to their initiatives. It includes every every initiative that's not a state purpose, but nothing functionally has changed with regard to the state's relationship in, in payment to nonprofit sector or to any other payers. Well, before we get into the next fiscal year, let me reintroduce you for listeners just joining us. This is the Capitol Press Room, and we're speaking with the state budget director, Blake Washington. So going into the next fiscal year, which begins April 1, 2024, state budget officials are projecting a $4.3 billion deficit, I believe, which is a little less than half the whole that was projected in the spring. What are the revisions to the deficit projection based on? The revisions to the deficit are based upon re-estimates of actual spending. So in the current year, watching our expenditures, working with our agency commissioners, making sure that we're investing in the right places and for the right purposes on essential services, maintaining our commitments to local aid programs, including the nonprofit sector. So the revisions really reflect actual experience six months into the fiscal year. Many of those revisions will carry forward just because of timing lags of contract dates and those sort of functional matters, but not not because of retrenchment on the state side. So how, if at all, does the call letter that you sent out urging state agencies to produce budgets with basically flat levels of spending impact the budget projections that you're making? Well, I think it helps to set a stage for the commissioners, helps them to give a framework of the times to come, of the challenges ahead. It helps them to reassess what they do, to focus on the core services that they provide, to make sure we're covering all the bases on on the things that New Yorkers actually care about, on on the must things versus the nice things. That's where we want to maintain the focus. So the call that came out early October 
tries to urge those commissioners just to be mindful of that spending because the challenges are ahead fiscally. But do the projections reflect a decrease in projected spending as the result of the call letter? For example, in the spring, were you anticipating, say, the Office for Aging to have 2% growth or 4% growth? And now that you've sent out this letter, does it work there? You say, well, we're only going to have Office for Aging at flat funding next year, and that helps contribute to the deficit. Oh, forgive me. Uh, Not necessarily. I think Governor Hochul wants to honor the commitments to the best extent practicable to all the agencies and all the things we've, the wins we've put on the board in the last couple of years allow for that growth to to occur, but to the extent that some of those same programs are growing beyond projected levels, and many of them are, that's where our, our sort of area of adjustment will occur. What did we plan for? What is the spending coming in at? And how can we uh, modify the two to just reflect what we ultimately planned for and have a more reasonable path for growth forward? So in light of what you're saying about how the projected deficit or the shrinking deficit is not a direct relation to, say, you guys saying, give us flat funding requests, is there still the need for agencies to maintain flat funding year over to year? Or does this shrinking deficit suggest that there is a little more room uh, in the collar? That's a great question because uh, I've already heard from agency staffers and commissioners that see the $4 billion remaining, seeing the good work that we've all done together to shrink the deficit and saying, wouldn't it be wonderful to not have to make the choices? Um, I feel like choices, you're going to hear that a lot over the next six months. <laughs> those choices, unfortunately, still exist. Um, I think that what we were able to do through a very uh, cautious exercise was really separate the wheat from the chaff. I think we've made in the mid-year report a lot of the, we've reflected the more easy choices, if you will. Um, the hard choices come in the executive budget to to level set and get us back on course for a more fiscally responsible path. Well, can you peel back the curtain, so to speak, on how the call letter is constructed for state agencies? For example, is this something that Blake Washington says, well, it's time to send out the call letter and here's what I'm feeling? Or is it done with input from the governor's office, specifically on, say, the flat funding request? It's absolutely done in consultation with the governor's office. We are in regular dialogue with the governor, my, my colleagues and the top staff in the governor's office. The governor is acutely aware of spending trends of the state, and she's acutely aware of the out-year impacts of spending and, and what that means to all the things that we care about if left unchecked. So in the fall, uh, you know, I've been, we actually went back and looked, I've been in state government for, for 20 plus years. And over those times, Division of Budget Directors, all but five of the years that I looked at, I think we looked at 23 years, all but five of them uh, included a request from the Budget Director to keep agency budgets flat. So I think we're we're sort of in the same space, uh, at least what our expectations are. But I would just say that uh, we have an expectation that we expect to fulfill to get us on a path where we can... um, afford the things that everybody cares about into the future, uh, eliminating the extraneous things. Um, we must still close a $4 billion gap. And uh, and I think that's our, our, our task in coming into the executive budget. Well, finally, on the projected deficit and how we should think about that, the Fiscal Policy Institute examined past budget projections and how they squared up with the eventual reality when it came time to craft a budget and found that the projections were almost always overly conservative. Given that backdrop, how should we view the $4.3 billion hole that's projected for the coming fiscal year? I think that New Yorkers expect us 
to have a serious discussion about how we spend our state dollars. I don't think that the the overall expectation is to make a bunch of promises that we cannot keep. I think we need to uh, support essential services, and I think that we have to keep the trajectory going after many, many years of, of underinvestment in the state, many, many years of not keeping pace with inflation, eight years or more. Governor Hochul has been very, very keen to level set and get us back to an area where we're actually making meaningful investments, particularly in the human services sector, but also in mental hygiene, uh, our schools, and a Medicaid program, trying to break that trend of, of CPI growth. I think that FPI maybe had a broader argument three and three plus years ago. Right now, I think that with the, uh, the historic investments we've been putting on the board in the last two and a half years, I don't think any argument can be made that we're not investing in the very same programs that we all care about. And after a quick break, we'll continue our examination of the state's mid-year financial plan, which provides a snapshot of our current and future budget situation with State Budget Director Blake Washington. When we get back, we'll talk about opportunities to fund health care for undocumented New Yorkers, the need to offset decreased federal aid for certain programs, and how Blake plans on getting through the demands of his first budget as the governor's go-to guy. business agency or service interested in delivering your message to more than two dozen radio stations statewide carrying Capital Press Room? If so, visit capitalpressroom.org to contact our underwriting team. For listeners just joining us, we're continuing our budget conversation in light of the state releasing its mid-year financial plan update, and our guest is State Budget Director Blake Washington. So the mid-year update notes that in January, uh, the governor will release her budget proposal, which will include, as you mentioned, a plan for closing the projected deficits. What sort of options are you presenting her and her team with when it comes to closing the gap? Do you run various models and scenarios and say, here are some different pathways for you to potentially proceed, and here's the pros and cons? Precisely. That's exactly what we do. We have we have wonderful staff at the Division of Budget, wonderful people on the second floor uh, here in the Capitol building working in the governor's office. It's just me and you, Blake. You don't have to say that now. <laughs> we, can, we can tell them the truth. Yeah. Who are the people you really don't like? <laughs> um, but they, they are, they're so serious about their job, and they're, they're really able to give a, the, wind, the widest range of options on where we can make adjustments to state spending. The one thing we've asked people not to do is to recommend tax increases to fill the gap. We want to make sure that we are on a sustainable path by doing course corrections along the way. And one of those isn't necessarily increasing taxes on ordinary New Yorkers. Although I don't think anyone's actually having that conversation, are they? About increasing taxes on regular everyday New Yorkers and the conversation usually on people who make in excess, say, of millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars a year? A hundred percent. You know, I, I'll, I'll clean that up. You're, you're, that is really the discussion on is certainly on the higher income earners, but 
we are a taxing limit even with with those income earners. Um, we are at the high, if you live in the city of New York, you pay the highest PIT rate in the nation, and we want to make sure that we're competitive in this state. We do not need more people contemplating leaving our state, whether they be in the city of New York and upstate. We want people to remain here. We want them to raise their families here, spend their money here, run their business here, regardless of who they are. So our charge is to to keep the tax climate for everyday New Yorkers and yes, even for people that make a lot of money to not deviate from current practice. Let's pay for the things that we care about. Let's focus on the essentials and let's try to grow ourselves out of where we are today. We have a revenue hole and we need to have all hands on deck. We don't need to alienate more people uh, to fill that revenue hole. We need to be creative. We need to lure more people to the state to help fill it. So I can hear liberal activists listening to our interview right now and screaming into their radio or podcast about the debate over rich people and flight of New York, but I'm not going to get into that with you right now. Uh, Instead, I want to just follow up on on the idea of scenarios. So do you, though, give a scenario where we're going to increase taxes, income taxes on wealthy New Yorkers, and here's what we think may or may not happen? Or do you not even present that as an option to the governor? I would not even present it at this stage of the game. My staff knows the ins and outs of it. If called to duty, we can always talk about those things off the cuff. What we're trying to do at this moment in time is figure out what investments may continue to make sense, revisit the things that maybe don't make sense, sharpening the services that are provided, and trying to get it to a more fiscally sane trajectory. We have made up for years and years of underinvestment. We're way above, say, PI this year and last year. I don't think any, even our, our, our friends uh, that would be critical of, the, of my, my tax discussion, nobody would be able to begrudge the, the effort that's been put in the last couple of years on the level of investment. Oh, I think they might have some concerns about the levels of investment, but I love that you're still optimistic <laughs> like that. Uh, one last thing on the scenarios point of view. Do you run scenarios or consider the right threshold for tapping the rainy day reserves? Because that has been another point of contention as we think about how to close the deficit. When do we utilize the, the reserves that we've built up under Governor Kathy Hochul. So is that something that you, you run? And, and is there a threshold when you figure it makes sense to tap reserves? For the funds deposited into the rainy day reserve, there are statutory requirements for withdrawal. And that requires a um, prolonged period of economic downturn or other certain circumstances. It also requires payback from the state. Now, not all of our reserves are in the statutory funds, but we still... It, we still want to keep the historic level reserves. We have nearly $20 billion in reserves in the state of New York to hedge against future economic downturns. We still have a not zero probability of a recession in the upcoming year or so. And that's something we want to be focused on to maintain the programs we care about. We have a, the nation's most robust Medicaid program, school aid, and those things when, when an economic downturn occurs, you need to have cash on hand to limit disruptions. So. Right now, we're, we want to keep our reserves at the historic levels that they are without dipping into them in, um, in creation in the, of the executive budget. Looking ahead to the fiscal year that starts in April 1, how much is the division of budget planning on spending on the influx of migrants that we've seen for the year plus? Are we expecting to make the same type of commitment that was in this year's budget? Or are you expecting that the state's commitment will decrease in the future? 
So in the current year budget, the state of New York has approximately $1.7 billion booked for the migrant crisis. About a billion or more is to the city of New York. The rest is in support of our National Guard mission and uh, legal services, case management, and a whole host of other initiatives. Coming into next year's budget, I, I was able to add a dialogue with our, our, our team last week on this. We have to maintain some of the commitments that we've, we've made to date. Certain to the city of New York, we've already pledged that we're going to fully fund um, some congregate sites such as Floyd Bennett Field, Creedmoor, um, Randall's Island. We're going to maintain those commitments. What I told our team last week is we have to actually make sure that whatever other commitments we do, we really focus on more targeted interventions to get new arrivals into the path of self-sufficiency, um, linking them with jobs, providing legal services, case management to, to make sure to determine what, what a, a, a newly arriving individual's needs actually are, and just trying to massage that process along the way. As far as the dollar amounts, as far as the commitments, the governor is very much thoughtful in the way that we, we want to make sure that the city of New York is supported in the way that they are, are handling this unprecedented challenge. As far as the dollar amount and the commitment coming into next year, I have another six months in my fiscal year, so I, I wouldn't say one way or the other exactly what those numbers are. What does the updated financial plan tell us about the existence of surplus federal funds from the administration of the essential plan? Is there still billions of dollars in extra cash available from this program? There still are, uh, is a healthy reserve related to the essential plan. For the folks listening at home, <laughs> uh, the essential plan is a benefit that was made available through the Affordable Care Act, and it supports health coverage for persons that are that are not necessarily eligible for Medicaid or Child Health Plus or some commercial plans. So this is a, the essential health plan and helps to meet that, that, that gap. There is indeed a large surplus, which is accessible under very narrow circumstances. And the state is trying to do its best to fill in the gaps to draw down those funds through expanded coverage, expanded payments in this year's budget, for example. We use some of the funding for expanded payments to hospitals, $800 million trying to figure out novel ways to get that money back out into the community to support the healthcare infrastructure. Well, you mentioned those narrow circumstances, and uh, federal officials have said the money could be used to pay for health insurance for undocumented New Yorkers. Is the DOB preparing for the possibility of spending surplus funds on something like that? Uh, not at this time. There are two different funds I should be mindful of. There's one very big fund that's somewhere in the neighborhood of $10 billion. That's the first fund I was talking about. And then there's there's an interest-bearing fund for a second subset of the essential plan. That's sort of the fund that's in play. That's a, that's a fund that uh, was identified last year for, in support of um, the legislature's bill for the essential plan uh, expansions to, to non-citizens. That bill didn't pass the legislature last year. So I, you know, I think that's a debate that'll go on uh, as we move forward. Well, finally, on the plan for next year, are you anticipating any significant upticks in some of what might be described as vice revenue sources, whether it's gambling dollars or revenue dollars in the coming fiscal year? Or, or do you feel like it's the same sort of trajectory uh, that we're currently on? Outside of, I think, sports wagering, mobile sports wagering is, is really gangbusters. Mm -hmm. I think that those dollars, those projections are coming in way ahead. Um, the state of New York... Uh, I think we're, we're even in point in time 30% greater than we projected in the enacted budget. Uh, as far as things like tobacco or, or cannabis or 
other sort of, as you said, vice crimes, mostly our projections are, are flat. There's no material changes um, to it. And lastly, on the revenue side from D.C., this might be a little off the beaten path, but I'm hearing that the federal government is not going to be funding, say, victim services at the same level that we've gotten used to. So does the mid-year plan recognize that expected decrease? And does it include plans for the state to offset the money that we normally would get from D.C.? Not in a holistic way. I think that as we meet with our examiners, as we engage the agency commissioners, those shortcomings will come to into focus. I know last year we provided $14 million uh, as a backfill for victim services plans. I'm told that that gap is widened. Um, I met with some advocates a couple of weeks ago who, who indicated that uh, there's, due to some federal formula changes, that, that, that chasm has worsened. And certainly that'll be up for discussion in the next six months too before we uh, enact a budget. So when things got particularly taxing for your immediate predecessor, Bob Magna, he said he relied on pizza and diet cola to get him through long days in the office. What do you anticipate will fuel your budget process? Well, I do drink coffee, so I, I, there's there's that. How um, many? When? How many like cups in a day might you drink? Two. That's it. I, I, yes. Okay, so you're, then you're not getting by on coffee alone. What else is helping Blake Washington survive? Well, you know, I, I uh, as I tell my staff, you know, when we go home at the end of the day, we have to take a shower by choice in this <laughs> job. Um, I've worked a lot of terrible jobs in my life, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and this one I have the opportunity to work with wonderful people, um, and I'm having a great time at it. So I just take each day as it comes and, uh, and, and try to uh, make the best of it and Coffee helps. Having a, a wife and a kiddo at home uh, to see at the end of the day helps, and in the morning too. So uh, yeah, I've never had it so good. So, well, you mentioned going home. My understanding from people in the budget world is that there are nights where you are not going to actually go home. So have you already identified the couch that you plan on sleeping <laughs> on in January and March? There, there is a couch in in my office. Um, I, I've never been a couch sleeper at work. I've again been here. Over 20 years, I'm more of the... It's just me and you talking, Blake. You can tell us what couch you sleep on. It's no, okay. I'm more of like the sit in your chair, uh, you know, uh, and sort of put your head on your, your hand uh, sleeper when, when it really comes down to it. Uh, but uh, but I, there will be times when um, the state's budget director will be sleeping on the job. It usually happens in the, in the time of, you know, 4 a.m. in the morning to 6 a.m. until the next meeting because we're, we have not left the building. But... Uh, when I can't get home, for, I, I will take those opportunities to make sure that uh, I uh, sleep and shower. Sleep and shower and take my daughter to school. Well, we've been speaking with Blake Washington. He is the state budget director and chauffeur for his daughter. Blake, thank you so much for making the time. Thank you very much, Dave. And for more Capital Press Room content, visit capitalpressroom.org or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And if you listen to us from an Apple device, make sure to leave us a rating and a review so it helps other people find the show.
Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information. Join us again for Capitol Press Room, a production of WCNY Connected, Syracuse.